podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. How are you on this Friday? I'm great. I woke up and I thought it was Saturday. And not that it really makes any difference in my life right now between a Friday and a Saturday. (laughs) And this is the first thing I'm doing all day, which is kind of nice. I love it. Was it you that I had the discussion with where we were like, uh, we feel like the Dowager Countess in Downton Abbey? Yes. (laughs) What's a weekend? (laughs) Yes. But it's less less pleasant and aristocratic (laughs) and more like we're always at our house yeah working more just <laughs> pandemic and sad yeah yeah but i am really excited to talk about rebecca with you this is such a great way to kick off the weekend we'll just go ahead and start the weekend this friday morning i'm here for it i'm excited to talk about this too so just to clarify we are going to talk about the movie today. We will totally do a full episode on Rebecca the Book at some point, but since the movie came out and we really like Daphne du Maurier, I I think it's going to be fun to talk about. But before we get to that, we do want to share a really sweet listener review that we just got. So this one is from Nick Jonas for Life. And that name alone just made me smile and giggle. And Nick Jonas for Life says, I just love the premise of this podcast, and Chelsea and Sarah are great hosts that inspire me to seek out classics and bring them into contemporary conversations. I had a secondary major in English in college, and I really miss the classic and contemporary books I read for classes and the literary conversations I was fortunate to have on a weekly basis. This podcast is the perfect fix for that. My TBR list is growing and growing, and I've thoroughly enjoyed the books I've read as a result of this podcast. Thanks, Chelsea and Sarah. That is so sweet. I love when people not only love the podcast, but love the book recommendations, and that the podcast has enhanced their reading. That's what we're here for. Me too. So thank you, Nick Jonas for Life. And if you would like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you did. It's helpful for our show as we keep growing our audience, and it really does make our day when we see those reviews. So thank you, and now let's talk about Rebecca. All right. I think we should say up front that with this episode, and probably all movie episodes, spoilers abound. I mean, we cannot get into this one without totally spoiling it. So if you haven't seen the movie or read the book and you know you want to, definitely hold off on this episode until you do. But if you if you know the story of Rebecca, get ready to dive in with us. So yes, Chelsea, when did you first read this book and what were your general thoughts on the book going into the movie? I, so 
Before I read the book, I had seen the 1940 Alfred Hitchcock movie because I really like classic films. I love Alfred Hitchcock movies. And so I had seen the movie like maybe in high school. And then I read Rebecca a couple of years ago and I really liked it. I enjoyed the imagery and the atmosphere building. I liked being able to see the beginnings of the suspense genre and all of the sort of psychological domestic suspense thriller books that we get today. And I always like being able to see like the the first seed of of a big trend in publishing. So I really enjoyed the book. What about you, Sarah? I read it a couple years after college. And yeah, a friend of mine passed it along and she said she had just read it and and loved it so much and that it had been sitting on her shelf for so long and she hadn't read it because the cover was terrible. And she had, if you've seen the like paperback with the red curtain cover, it, it just looks, I mean, no offense to mass market paperbacks because we don't judge any books, but it looks like a mass market paperback and she hadn't picked it up for that reason so she read it she loved it she told me I had to read it I read it I loved it I've taught it which is super fun oh really yes I love teaching it in my women in lit class there's so many good discussions to have um yeah so I I really really like this book I I call it one of my favorites for sure I've read it multiple times and I also love the Hitchcock movie. It's so good. I think that the Hitchcock movie set me up for disappointment for this 2020 version. Okay, let's significantly. Let's just <laughs> should we just get into it? Get into it. <laughs> I agree. I think that the Hitchcock movie. I mean, that's the only movie Hitchcock ever won an Oscar for, which is, a, I mean, kind of incredible that he didn't win more. But also shows you that it's one of his absolute best it's so good he totally gets Daphne du Maurier I mean he's he also made the birds which is another one of Mm -hmm. her works so he gets her and that comes across in the film I didn't think that this movie got her and got the book as well as Hitchcock which is a high bar but should we talk about maybe some of the things we liked first yes I would like you to go first because I have to think of some things. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, well, I mean, I thought that the movie was beautiful. The cinematography, the settings, I'm really into. At the very beginning of the movie, it reminded me a little bit of our conversation around the new Emma, where... Uh, Autumn DeWilde, the director of Emma, said she wanted everything to be bright and colorful because sometimes we make these period pieces and we make them look already dingy and old. And I think Rebecca was kind of doing the same thing. Like it wanted everything to look new and sparkling because it it would have been. Although I guess like the Great Depression didn't exist in this version of the film. But um, everything was beautiful. The costumes were gorgeous. It was striking. I really enjoyed it visually in many ways. 
it was really pretty. And I especially appreciated the opening scenes that were on the Mediterranean Sea and just pure escapism of like, oh, it's just this beautiful location. And just that that element of escape was really lovely. And then, of course, just the set design for Manderley was incredible. Yes. I mean, it's this huge mansion. And I thought that it was incredibly representative of the time period and also harkened back to just like those super ancient estates. I'm thinking of Rebecca's room specifically. Mm-hmm. It was very modern and like up to date. And then the rest of the house was super ornate and um, it wasn't crumbling but you could just feel that it was it was old and it was just absolutely lavish. Like you can tell it was a this movie had to have a big budget, right? I would think so. Yes. I mean, yeah, the set design, the shooting on location. Yeah, I I also I know we'll talk about the clothes in detail, I'm sure, but yes. <laughs> I really loved Lily James's costumes. As the second Mrs. De Winter, or her costumes even before she was married. Although <laughs> I watched with my husband Miles, and he refuses to believe that that's what people who were in service would have and could have dressed like <laughs> in the 1930s, and said that she looks like she just stepped out of like a 2020 Madewell catalog, which she kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> which is how I want to look all the time, which is why I liked the clothes. <laughs> yes. And she's so pretty. She's just gorgeous. Lily James is my husband's celebrity crush. So, Well, she is gorgeous. I mean, and that was kind of a problem for me. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's... I just... I felt like I was watching Lady Rose from Downton Abbey or like one of her other more glitzy, glamorous characters, which I think she's so good at playing, come into this story and just not fit super well. Yeah. And and, and she was... it was just weird seeing her be awkward because I just I couldn't I couldn't connect that in my brain. Right. And I I I couldn't connect it. And I don't know that I even fault her performance. I mean, it almost seemed to me like she was directed to be kind of spunky and modern and quirky and awkward, but not meek and insecure and self-doubting in the way that the narrator is in the novel. I mean, she certainly has moments of insecurity, as Rebecca has mentioned more and more, but... She doesn't go into the marriage with the same sort of fawning nervousness. And so the setup is just completely different than in the book. Yeah. So as you're saying that, it makes me wonder if 2020 is just not, do we need another film adaptation of Rebecca? Because pulling her into the modern era doesn't really work. She's not supposed to be a spunky heroine. And look, I love spunky heroines. I loved the modern adaptation. I mean, it's not modern, but like I loved last year's adaptation of Little Women and the way that it was really of the time, of our modern time. But that doesn't work with Rebecca. 
No, I just, I think the the gender dynamics and the relationship doesn't necessarily work as well if you're trying to make it like 2020 friendly. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think they tried to smooth out both of the DeWinters Mm -hmm. in this version. Even Maxim seemed to, supposed to be more likable, which, why? He's, yeah, why? Yeah, I mean, you don't get in this film version, you don't get the same sense as you do reading the book that he specifically chooses this new wife because she is the exact opposite as Rebecca. She won't challenge him. She's timid and insecure, and he can control her. And they tried to make this movie about true love. Oh my gosh, I mean... Okay, we should probably wait to talk about the ending, but the ending was when (laughs) I was just like, this film does not understand this book. Uh, Okay, so I do, let's talk about Army Hammer as Maxim de Winter, because we, we talked about Lily James as the unnamed narrator. So let's let's talk about him a little bit before we get into maybe some more of the themes and stuff. I... I could not reconcile Army Hammer and his, like, good old American boy handsomeness, like, classic blonde hair, blue-eyed charm with Maxim at all. Like, just literally he doesn't look the part at all of a brooding gothic hero. Yeah. And they weren't trying to make him one, I think. No. Which I don't get. Me neither. And, I mean, I think he and Lily James are fine actors, but these roles just did not suit them at all. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, I I didn't buy him as a romantic hero or as, like, a creepy, controlling. And I think another part of that is the age gap is missing, mm-hmm. too. Yep. Which is pretty significant in Rebecca that Maxim is supposed to be quite a bit older than the narrator and that that dynamic really plays a big part in the dynamics of their relationship and their power structure. Yes. And that was missing as well. Yeah. It was just, I was confused. Like what, what, what are we trying to do with these people here? Yeah. Yeah. They did try I think, to make their relationship completely different than the relationship that exists in the book. I, at the beginning of the movie, thought that maybe Army Hammer had taken some notes from the way Matthew McFadden plays Mr. Darcy in the 2005 adaptation. <laughs> and I like, I like his performance because I do think a great reading of Pride and Prejudice is that Darcy is really shy and socially awkward, and it's not mm-hmm. that he's snobby although he is but it that it's not just that he's prideful that there's this social awkwardness there but that's not maxim de winter at all no he's got deep dark secrets and instead it was kind of like oh he's just a little bit shy it didn't work and unfortunately that's what happens like right at the beginning you see it not working with these two characters and so i was like oh gosh what am I in for? And then, okay, you're married to a musician. 
So I'm curious to hear what you thought of the soundtrack because I thought it was god-awful. It was bad. And so I, I watched this with Miles, although he was playing a video game at the same time. But the first comment was, the soundtrack is weird and awful. So yeah, it was weird and I don't understand what they were doing with it at all. There was, so the the part that really stands out is there was this weird like 60s, 70s folksy song yes. that they put under two different scenes yep. that did not match the tone of the movie or the time period. Yep. And I was so confused. But beyond that, I just thought that the soundtrack, the soundtrack in a thriller is essential. Mm-hmm. And when we think about Alfred Hitchcock, we think about Psycho, we think about all of the sound cues and the cinematography that go into creating the suspense of his movies. And there was absolutely none of that here. No, I, the, the worst moment for me in terms of soundtrack was jumping to the end when Maxim confesses to his wife that he, major spoiler alert, I mean, we gave one at the beginning, but <laughs> that he killed Rebecca. I mean, that part of the book is so fascinating and thrilling psychologically. I mean, it's it's his confession, but watching the narrator become relieved when her husband confesses to murder because now she knows that he didn't love Rebecca more than he loves her, we're supposed to think that that's twisted. But they played this, like, lovey-dovey music while he was confessing and while she was making this realization, like, we're supposed to feel that way, too. And, again, I just, I don't know that the movie, that the director really understood this book. And that was one of the key moments that revealed that. Yeah, I looked him up because I was like, okay, what else has this guy made? And, I mean, I think it's telling that it's a male director, first of all. Like, Hitchcock somehow knew how to get Daphne du Maurier right, but this guy clearly did not understand, like, the gaslighting and psychological suspense that is so present in women's fiction. Yeah. But I looked him up and I did not recognize anything oh, okay. that he's made before. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. Like, I, you, maybe you're not great at this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I just, it, it wasn't an homage to Hitchcock because that was complete, like, connections to his movie, aside from probably some, like, some shots were probably similar, but the tone was so completely different. And then I couldn't figure out what it was trying to be like it wasn't speaking anything that we needed to hear in this current moment I almost thought that throughout the movie it was almost like um (laughs) Lily James was going from shy naive ingenue to Nancy Drew sleuth yeah because all of a sudden she's like, I'm going to go and detect some clues <laughs> and like takes on this little detective role. And I just <laughs> could not. <laughs> yeah, I that was ridiculous. The whole trial thing was ridiculous because I don't know if you remember this from the book, but in the in this new film version, the detective is like, for some reason, has it out to get Max to winter and he taunts him and he's like oh nobody's above the law and it seems like he just hates this guy and and it turns 
Maxim into a poor, innocent underdog when he is he is guilty. He is guilty, mm-hmm. and he has tried to use his money to cover it up. But it's like the film wants us to feel sorry for Maxim. In the book, the inspector guy is like buddies with Maxim and like assuring him that nothing will come of this trial. That is completely different. And that's a yeah, that is a problem. And that would honestly make just as much sense today, if not more sense. Yes. To have that like backroom negotiations, the like power of money, being able to influence the justice system. Like that's, that's modern. Yeah. You don't have to change that. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, that's more interesting. It's more real. And it's more... I don't know, fits with the character and the story better than all of a sudden this guy's this poor underdog. I mean, even the like the way he says that, you know, Rebecca like put the gun in his hand and held it right up to her, wants to absolve him of all guilt, which is so weak. Just why? Because I think because the movie wanted to be a love story. I think that Daphne would be furious. <laughs> she was very adamant that this book is not a romance. Like, she was on the record. I think she would be so disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Can we talk about, like, maybe the worst thing of the movie? Okay, yes. Is, I did not think Danvers was creepy. Oh, I thought she was the best part of the movie really i thought she was mean i thought Mm. she was like bitchy yeah but i did not find her to be sinister and creepy yeah that's fair i read a review that said that it seems like Kristen scott thomas was the only one who realized she was in a gothic horror novel (laughs) or movie (laughs) yeah i can see that and that's very true i i think her performance was like the most committed to the source material but i think you're right that they tried to to make the creepiness hinge on some of the setting so like that scene by the three-way mirror where you know danvers is like circling her but then they took out some of the classic scenes like where i mean they they show a touch of where danvers is basically trying to urge the narrator to jump out the window but they cut it really short and they don't really lean into Danvers creepiness and sinisterness there I I thought I mean maybe maybe for other viewers that scene was more visceral but for me it kind of fell flat comparatively to the book yeah I agree with you though that she as far as casting she was the best person who was cast in her main role and was excellent acting wise I agree with that I it was more the the like the script and the directing that just did not did not get at that creepy sinister I mean that's like the one of my favorite parts of the book is that's that's where the creepiness really comes from and I just found that like she was mean and manipulative and it was clear like it was really Maybe it was just that everything was too obvious. Mm, yeah. Like, there was no subtlety. No. No. And the weird, that weird scene where she t- 
tells Lily James, like, we women need to, like, look out for each other. And I, if you just ask for my help, I'll help you, which, of course, is manipulative. But it also seemed like they wanted to get a little, like, feminist speech in there. (laughs) And I mean, I, I think that that does exist in the book, that vein of feminism, not that particular speech, when Danvers is kind of saying, like, why shouldn't Rebecca have her fun? And and that is psychologically compelling and interesting in, in the context of the story, but that the way they tried to push that in the, the movie fell off to me. I agree. It felt like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And it felt like because Danvers was already so villainized that then that, that opinion was also villainized and we were supposed to be focusing on the the romance again at that point and yeah I don't know and also like it's everything that is salacious and sensational about this book comes across so much better in the 1940 version because it was salacious back then when the movie was released yeah I mean they had to do they got censored a bit yeah, and I think there's some, like, I know that we are big on remakes now, and I think that if if there's something new to say, it can can be really great, but I just think that this one might exist so much better in black and white. Yeah, I think that that's really fair. Yeah, I'm not sure what there is new to say about Rebecca. I mean, the gaps you want to fill in to hear about Rebecca's side of the story or something like that, like almost can't be done because that's the whole point is that she's not on the page, but she's everywhere. So I, yeah, I'm not sure what there is to do. I think, okay, I know I said that I thought that Kristen Scott Thomas was the best part of the movie, but I actually think Anne Dowd as Mrs. Van Hopper, she was great. Her like she was cruelty and her back and forth of you know being so sweet and pandering to Maxim and so cruel to the unnamed narrator were just just fantastic. Yeah, I agree with that. I haven't read The Winters, which is the modern retelling of Rebecca. Have you read that one? I have. Do you think that that would have made a better movie? Yes. I I didn't particularly like the book. Again, I just, I, I think that this book is so, it's just so reliant on the atmosphere and the context to make it soar. And so I've read a couple retellings. There's another one called Elena that's set at an art gallery that is pretty interesting. The Winters is too was too literal for me. Like, mm. there is a Danny, and there, I mean, it's just everything is very, yeah. like, one-to-one, which I find difficult, although the ending is quite different, and I think speaks to a more contemporary sensibility, and so I do think that would be a great movie. And they could have kept the casting. I think Lily mm. James and Army Hammer as... An American wealthy couple in a modern um, setting would have been 
spot on. I kept thinking to myself as I was watching that this was already remade. And it was Gone Girl. Mm, Yeah. Think about the sensation of that book. And then when they made it into a movie, and it was perfectly cast, yep. and the suspense was there, and it, I, I don't remember if it won any awards, but I know that it made a splash in terms of being a critically acclaimed film. Yeah. That is Rebecca, the book, and the Alfred Hitchcock film version. Yeah. That's what we can do. And there are so many books like Gone Girl now, and we have seen many movie adaptations that we didn't have to go back to the source material of Rebecca to get a really great modern adaptation of Rebecca. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. We are so still steeped in and living in the literary and storytelling vein that this book set out for us. And so going back to the source, while interesting, isn't necessary for a film read. A film adaptation. Let's talk about the ending, which... (laughs) Made me so mad. Me too. Uh, Yeah. I... My first thought, when she, like, sat up in bed, and you just see the shoulder of a man, was like, is this a new ending where the narrator like runs off and gets herself a lover and like goes off by herself is fiercely independent. And I was like, maybe I can get behind that a little bit. And then it was Maxim. And I was like, what is this romantic nonsense? Yeah. And then she speechifies about how like everything was worth it because the one thing that matters in life is love. And, and the worst thing is that they make it seem like those are Daphne du Maurier's words because they start, she starts with the whole, last night I dreamt I went to Manderley again, and then goes into some crap written by the speechwriter about how love is the only thing that matters, when in the, the book we know that they live this really sad, lonely life on on the run basically they don't have a home there they don't have a relationship really anymore and they to like make it seem like they're just they're just you know vacationing around until they find their next new home it's so ridiculous it's terrible that's i mean i think daphne jamori was already rolling around in her grave but then at that point like ugh. yeah the last The last few sentences, I'll read the last few sentences of Rebecca and tell me that this wouldn't make an amazing cinematic shot. The road to Manderley lay lay ahead. There was no moon. The sky above our heads was inky black, but the sky on the horizon was not dark at all. It was shot with crimson like a splash of blood, and the ashes blew towards us with the salt wind from the sea. Yep. That's... Just end with the fire. And the cinematography of the the fire in the movie was stunning. Mm-hmm. But we had to have a nice little cap off, I guess. Yeah, I'm, it was terrible. I'm just reading now the like first little paragraph in my book. And of course, because I taught this, I have underlined all of the diction choices. And, you know, there are 
words in that like iron gate and barred and padlock and chained and rusted spokes like she is setting you up to believe that this is a character who is trapped from paragraph one and that is not the sense that the movie gives you at all nope so a few fun notes about halfway through the movie i texted you and said um this movie is two hours long (laughs) Well, and I was watching the debate while you were watching the movie, so I was still jealous of you. (laughs) Yeah, I would rather watch this movie again than watch the debate, but I really don't want to watch it again either. Um, And then I think the most delightful thing, we talked about the costuming and I will share a link to this in the show notes, but it's basically a comparison of Lily James and all of her outfits and Rebecca to Kit, the American Girl doll. <laughs> and it's spot on. It is the best. And it made me laugh. So I, I really enjoyed the commentary around the movie, if not the actual film. Me too. I also enjoyed um, Miles's two-sentence summary of the movie which i wrote down because i wanted to share with you well everyone stopped talking about rebecca for two seconds i'm right here i'm mrs de winter now i'm hot and polite which is literally all that matters in this world (laughs) spot on (laughs) it really is i love that (laughs) so i'm glad we watched it i'm glad we chatted about it yeah Oh my goodness, yes. And I mean, I almost think sometimes it's so much more fun to like really hate a movie and rip it apart. (laughs) Totally. And I like, I want Netflix to keep pumping out some classic books remakes because it is fun to see what people do with it. And it's fun to get to be a little bit English major snobby and be like, "Mm -mm, that's not the tone of this this story. (laughs) I agree. I do think that Lily James is, they might have wrapped filming. I mean, she's mired in controversy right now. Oh, really? She and Dominic West were caught smooching, and he's much older than her and also married. Oh. And it's there's like this whole drama, and she canceled a bunch of press appearances about Rebecca because of that. So anyway, highly recommend if you're in, if you're interested in juicy celebrity gossip. Yes, I will um, spend my weekend reading about this. Thank you. <laughs> but she is also I think that they were filming together for a Nancy Mitford at, adaptation. And I think that that's going to be really really good. I think that she's much better suited for that kind of glamorous role and I think that that's going to be a really great I think it might be an Amazon Prime series. I can't remember. We'll include some links in the show notes to all of this stuff. But yeah, but she actually uh, was was wrapped up in a little little gossip recently. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I I do really like her work. I thought she was great in Guernsey. Um, yes. So like that kind of role is just so so perfect for her. And yeah, I I think. Whether it was the casting or the directing, I I think she was led a little bit astray on this one. I think so too. But I also think she and Army Hammer are about to see a boom in their careers. Like they are at peak 
acting career right now, both of them. And so having them together in a movie is almost more like the benefit of them like shining off of each other. Mm, Yeah. And it's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things because they've got these other big incredible projects coming up and like they're going to be in everything I like we're going to see them everywhere so seeing them together in this movie I think is almost more a quick check on their resume and an example of the kind of work that they can do because then it's like oh well we can do these period pieces Mm. and we can we can do these like serious and romantic because it was really like this was a genre mashup like it was supposed to be suspense but it was really romance and it was this like historical but then they had this weird these weird music cues and like I I think it is more of them just being like well we can do anything yeah yeah I think that's that's a good point well watching this new one did make me want to revisit the Hitchcock which I think we might do this weekend and I really think listeners if you haven't seen that version yet it's it's a classic it's so great highly recommend yeah I'm thinking a Hitchcock movie marathon might be in order for me like that's my kind of Halloween movie marathon and I did find I think that there's a free version streaming on YouTube I don't know how long that'll stay up because I don't know if it's legal um but if it's still up when this episode releases i'll put it in the show notes but otherwise we'll otherwise we'll include some links to different places that you can watch the alfred hitchcock version because it's it's much more worthwhile oh yes and this episode is dropping right before halloween so that is a perfect thing to cozy up with this weekend agreed sarah before we wrap things up should we talk about what we're reading right now yeah, I just finished The Rules of Magic by Alice Hoffman, which was my book club pick over for my Fiction Matters Patreon, and I am, I really loved it, and I'm so excited to talk about it with book club members, and I am currently in the midst of wrapping up my Aspen Words reading. By the time this episode airs, I will have sent off my little list and I will be done and I look forward to picking the Once and Future Witches back up which I started at the beginning of October and was absolutely loving before I had to put it aside um, to do some other other work so witchy books for me this week how about you Chelsea I'm really excited that your Aspen Words reading is almost oh my gosh me too And I also really want to read those two books. They're both really good. I think, especially The Rules of Magic, even if you aren't really into witchy books, which some people, it just seems to be like something you either love or or Mm -hmm. avoid, but it really is more of a family saga. It follows this family from childhood to adulthood, and they happen to be magical, and the magic is beautifully written. But I think even if you just love a good family story, The Rules of Magic is a good one. What are you reading right now? I just finished Jacqueline Woodson's new book, Before the Ever After. I listened to the audio yesterday and oh my goodness, it's so good. I mean, like my heart still hurts. It is, I don't want to say it's a tough read because it's, Oh gosh, it's just so good. So it is about a young boy, ZJ, and his dad is a famous tight end. 
and his dad has suffered a lot of concussions. And so because of his head injuries, he starts to act differently and they're not sure what's happening. This is set at the time prior to all of these stories breaking of NFL players who were suffering major consequences from all of their head injuries. And so this book is about CJ and his relationship with his dad and how you love someone when they're not who they used to be. And he has these sweet relationships with his friends. And it was completely, I mean, like, my heart swelled while listening to this book, but also it is sad. So it was such a good listen. I mean, I think it only took me like two hours to listen to it. It was a quick audiobook listen. Jacqueline Woodson's writing is amazing. ZJ likes to write songs. And so her her poetry really comes across in these beautiful little songs that he writes. It was so good. I cannot recommend it enough. So that's Before the Ever After by Jacqueline Woodson. That sounds fantastic. You really need to, I do. to listen to that one. Yeah. And then I actually, my other two, like my paper copy reads are recommendations from you. I'm currently in the middle of Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro <gasps> and The Other Typist. Oh my gosh. Which we recommended on The Great Gatsby. And so, uh, yeah, I'm excited to finish those. And those are great, eerie, and kind of spooky. Actually, I think The Other Typist would be a good fit for a Rebecca read-alike. Totally. And um, yeah, so I I love that we're reading across the spectrum of Halloween reads oh, right now. Yes, I love that too. Yeah, I definitely think The Other Typist would be a good one for Rebecca fans. It's got that same pacing and unreliable, insecure narrator. and Oh, so good. All right. Well, we are going to wrap up our conversation there. If you enjoyed this bonus episode, be sure to tell us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or showing us some love on social media. We would love to hear from you. Thank you to Michelle Timmons for all of her assistance and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. We'll be back next Tuesday with our episode on And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. Until then... We declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.